We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. So on Monday, I started as the head coach of a middle school wrestling team. And then on Tuesday, I got a call that said, do not come back. That was my week. Uh, I wasn't fired. So don't worry, I wasn't fired. Turns out I was never actually hired. So I show up Monday. We drag these heavy, if you've ever moved wrestling mats, you know, heavy, heavy mats out of storage and took all of us. We were already like drenched in sweat doing this. Unrolled them. They were nasty. We mopped them up. We cleaned them. And then we got into pretty good practice. And I felt really good about this team and this influence that I was going to be able to hopefully have with these 10 young people. And then Tuesday, the athletic director called me, the one who hired me, (laughs) and said, hey, I got in a little bit of trouble about you yesterday. And I was like, what did I do? He's like, no, no, you're fine. Um, You're not actually an employee yet. So I can't have you come back until you are for liability reasons. And I was like, well, what are you waiting on? Like, I thought I turned in all my paperwork. He's like, no, no, you did everything we asked you to. It's on our end. We have a new person in this spot and things got just mixed up. And now the district's involved. And if the district wasn't involved, I might let you fly under the radar, but the district's watching it now. And we have to make sure we do this right. And so you can't come back in for practices. I was like, okay, that's a bummer, but I totally get it. Like, I'll, I'll jump through the hoops. You just let me know, or I'll wait. You let me know, right? And so I was, I was banned from it for a little while. Uh, next day it comes, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? What's the status? Yeah, we still, we're still in this kind of limbo. Sorry, man. Okay, just want you to know, you scheduled a, a wrestling match for them the week after Thanksgiving, and you told me the whole week of Thanksgiving there's no school, so there's no practice. So they've had one practice, and they're going to get thrown to the wolves. <laughs> And he's like, I know, we're going to figure it out, don't worry. Next day comes, (laughs) and he's like, here's what we're going to do. It's still not done yet, but I'm going to be there, and I'll be the coach, and you'll be an observer, okay? (laughs) Uh, But really, you're going to coach. But that way, because I'm there, and I'm like, I, I bear responsibility for everything, you get to come in, and you get to give these kids another practice. I was like, cool, I'm good with that. I don't know if I'm supposed to be telling you guys this or not. I'm not going to tell you the name of the school. <laughs> Happens all the time. All the teachers in the room are like, yep, this sounds right. Yep, sounds like how we organize things. <laughs> so not the teachers, the director. So uh, I, I go in, and because the athletic director is there as the coach, and I'm like tied to his hip, I'm able to be there now. Okay, the reason I share that story is because if he was not there, I had no legal right to be in that room. And not only did I have no legal right, but it would actually be very inappropriate (laughs) for me to be there, right? Uh, Especially, we're talking about uh, the sport of wrestling. And like, I have to be kind of hands-on with these kids, and so I I tried to have him do that as much as I could on that day. So... There, there would be no good reason for him to be there. Like the reason for them telling me you can't come until you're hired is a safety reason and a liability reason, and it makes sense to me. But having him there and having me be there with him with his approval changed everything, right? And if the school had just decided, you know what? We're being silly about this. Like we're, 
it's, it's really, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Like, we shouldn't have said that. Just come on in, right? Then we would hear that and we'd go, hey, that's not okay. Like, I, some of us who have kids at a school would be like, I hope they don't do that. Like, I hope they are taking that seriously, doing the background check and all those things, right? And so we would feel like, no, that's not okay. Don't go back on that. Don't just change your mind. And the reason I, I think about this right now with this text is because we heard these contrasting stories of two different mountains. One that comes from Exodus 19, which we know is Mount Sinai. And then one, which the author of Hebrews calls out as Mount Zion, which we'll talk a little bit about which mountain that is in a moment. But, but there's these two contrasting ideas of one's like this mountain that you can't even come near and touch, and the other one that you're welcome to, and it's a celebration. And a lot of times what happens is when we hear about two contrasting images like this from the Old Testament and New Testament, is we kind of get in our head that like, oh man, thank God we don't have this angry, strict God from the Old Testament anymore. Jesus came and he kind of softened him up a little bit for us, right? And even if we wouldn't necessarily think that thought like that, and once we put those words together in our mind, we go, oh, that doesn't sound right. The reality is, I think, on a practical level, many of us, myself included, often still approach the way we read the scriptures with that kind of in the background. That's like processing in the background for us. So maybe we get this picture that like a parent who, by the time they get to their third child, to their youngest child, suddenly they're like, hey, you know, whatever, everything goes, like, it's fine. <laughs> like, they're way more relaxed about things. They have later bedtimes, later curfews. They're allowed to do things before the older kids were allowed to do them. And the older kids are like, that's not fair, right? And the middle kid's like, I just got the worst of both ends, like, you know. <laughs> so I was a middle kid in case you didn't know. So maybe we, we get that in our heads, like, okay, God, by the time, like, Jesus comes around, by the time the New Testament hits, God just starts to relax a little bit. It's the same God, sure, right? But maybe he just starts to relax a little bit, and he's a little more easygoing with things. Uh, another wrestling image that came to my mind is a few years after high school, I went back and started helping my old wrestling coach coach another team at a different school. And yes, I was legally allowed to be there. And as we were doing that, uh, we took these kids to go get burgers one night. And I was like, what? What's this all about? What the heck? To my coach. And he's like, what? What, what are you so upset? I was like, you never took us for burgers. <laughs> when I wrestled for you, we never went out for pizza. I heard you took them to pizza last weekend after the tournament. Like, what, what is this all about? You've gone soft, coach. And he was like, yeah, I just, I just really don't care anymore. <laughs> He's getting older, you know, he was the principal and the coach. And so that happens with people. It doesn't happen with God. God is unchanging. He is steadfast. He is the same today as he was yesterday and the same that he will be tomorrow. So what is going on here? Why is there this mountain that the people could not touch or they would die back in Exodus? where God showed up. But then there's this Mount Zion where the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, come freely, right? Something must have changed. Or maybe something's different about the mountains. So Mount Sinai, we know, just kind of from, from the background that we have about the biblical story, Mount Sinai is where Moses went up to meet with God, right? 
And he met with God in order to get God's instruction for the people. You've been slaves for hundreds of years. You and your parents and your ancestors have been slaves for 400 years to Egypt. Let me show you a better way to live. I'm a better master. If you live this way, it won't look like slavery. It'll actually bring freedom. And so Moses goes up there to get that from God. Moses met with God on top of this mountain. But it looked pretty crazy and scary. In fact, let's read some of what happens in Exodus 19. We can throw it up on the screen here. Exodus 19, uh, verses starting in 10 through 11, when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. Essentially, get them ready for, okay? Consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. So this is a pretty big deal, okay? I'm gonna keep going here, verse 13. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot with an arrow, not a gun back then. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And then we're gonna skip forward to verse 16 right here. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Where's this trumpet coming from? It wasn't one of the people like brought a trumpet out of Egypt blowing it, okay? This is coming from the heavens, coming from the sky. So there's a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. What an entrance, right? That's like, showing up that way is telling a story, isn't it? It's setting a tone. He descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Another way of the translation of the Hebrew here is the whole of the people around the mountain trembled greatly. They're afraid. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The author of Hebrews also says that Moses himself was afraid to go up, which is a reference from Deuteronomy uh, chapter nine is where it tells us that, that Moses himself, as he's retelling the story to his people, he says, I was afraid. Like, of course he was. Who wouldn't be, right? This is a pretty epic scene here. And there's a warning and the, the warning becomes visibly clear by darkness coming and clouds covering and lightning and thunder and fire shooting down and God speaking through thunderous sounds. Do not touch this mountain or you will die. Now, I don't know if you might've missed this part though, but God actually said that he, he said, consecrate them on the third day I'll come down. And then he mentions they can't touch the mountain until. Did you catch that part? The, the point was not God's like, I don't ever want these people to come near me. God was preparing them for a way that they could actually approach him. 
But what do the people do? They hear God's thunderous voice and they tell Moses, don't tell God to talk to us anymore. Tell him he's not allowed to speak to us anymore. We can't hear it. Speak through you instead and then you come tell us because Moses, like, we can handle you. You never walk in the room with fire. Like, I mean, thanks for like leading us out of Egypt, but like, you're just a dude. We can handle talking to you. Don't let God talk to us anymore. They see the awe and the amazingness of God and they tremble and they go, let's keep our distance. Not just don't touch the mountain until God says, but like, no, 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 we're not going anywhere near that. Does that kind of remind you of another story back in the earlier parts of the biblical narrative? God said not to even touch it or I would die. But was that what God actually said, right? There's this like, there's a sense of, oh man, if I come anywhere near that, I'm a goner. And so I'm gonna set up even more boundary. I'm gonna set up even more steps, even more safeguards between me and that. And in this case, the that is God. They separate themselves even more from him. But God goes, okay, Moses, you come up here as a representative and he speaks with Moses. And Moses comes down and he brings all of God's words to them. And you guys know the rest of the story. The people are like, yeah, we'll do all the things that God just said. And then they don't do all the things that God just said and it goes poorly and they are not a very good display people of what God is like. Why? Probably because they would not draw near to him. Not just at the mountain, but in all of life. Now, what's this Mount Zion, the second mountain that's introduced here? This is not the first time actually a biblical narrative brings up Mount Zion. There is a physical Mount Zion, by the way, in Jerusalem right now. However, there was a different Mount Zion, a physical location at another point in history. And so all throughout scripture, actually, Mount Zion is a phrase that becomes symbolic. He's not necessarily talking about a physical drop on a map right now. It becomes this place that means something bigger. The word Zion can mean like castle or fortress, but it also, it also can mean uh, drawing near to. And so in the ancient Near Eastern world, this idea of a mountaintop was this idea where it was the highest point of earth where it actually could touch the heavens. And so for the ancient Near Eastern people, their thought was, if you want to get near to God, you climb up the highest mountain. And God used this imagery at Mount Sinai, didn't he? But this idea of Mount Zion, it became this symbolic picture for God's people that there's a mountaintop that we can get to where we could be at peace with God, where heaven and earth touch and God will meet us there and there will be joyful celebration. So Mount Zion becomes this picture of that. And the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, you haven't come to Mount Sinai like your ancestors did. You've found Mount Zion. How? How is this possible? If the God of the Old Testament who drops down with fire on Mount Sinai is still the same God today, then why do we get to go up to the mountain and greet him with celebration now? 
something has changed, right? Something's different. Now, I want to just, before we talk about what that different thing is, just to make sure we really understand this is the same God, let's go back to that last verse in chapter 12. The very last thing he says, after all these things about you haven't come to that dangerous mountain, you've come to Mount Zion, you've come to where there's celebration, you've come to where there's joy, you've come to where it's safe for you to be near God. And at the very close of this argument, what he says in chapter 12, verse 29, for our God is a what? A consuming fire. What has changed? God hasn't changed. This is the same God that came down in fire and smoke on Sinai. Our God is still a consuming fire. I think what happens sometimes is we run into two possible ditches on this road to try to understand this, right? And one of those is like, God's just my buddy. Jesus is my homie. Like we're tight and we're friends and everything's just chill between us. And we forget that God is a consuming fire. This is the God at Sinai where the people trembled and he spoke with thunderous voice. It's the same God that we worship. And if he showed up in all of his glory right now, like we would tremble too. He shows up to Isaiah and Isaiah's like, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. This prophet of God, a guy who spoke God's words to the people. And he feels like, just kill me now. Like I'm not worthy to be here. This is the same God we worship. And so let's not get that twisted, okay? It's not just like, it's casual between us. Like God's a good friend. You know, we like to hang out at times. Uh, I do my own thing sometimes too. This is a God who is consuming and he will consume all of creation because it's his. But he's not a God who desires to consume it all with fire in a way that destroys. He's a God who desires to fill it all with his consuming presence. And so the other ditch that we run into is this like, we get this picture of Mount Sinai. We get this picture of Old Testament God and we go, I can't, I can't come close. And we set up more boundaries for ourselves too. We set up more obstacles for ourselves to keep us further from God because it's not safe there, right? And we think that God might be looming down on us with this thunderous, angry voice ready to consume us with fire like that because of our sin. Listen, both of those pictures are half pictures of who this God is. Both of those pictures are incomplete and will not actually show you the fullness of God's glory. They keep us at a distance. Mount Zion is a symbol of getting to a place where heaven and earth touch and God is with us. And he's the same God that he was back then and that he will be forever, but he desires you right there with him in his presence. Not to consume you with fire by destruction, but to fill you with his consuming presence so that you can experience life and fullness. What has changed? The author of Hebrews tells us, we have a better blood that cries out for us now. 
And what, is, what does that mean? What is he talking about? Well, he, he references another Old Testament story. Remember, he's speaking to a Jewish audience. They would have known these stories well. We have to do a little more work to remind ourselves because we aren't those people, right? We weren't living in that time. And so remember the story of Abel. After his parents said, no, 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 we can't even touch the tree or we'll die. And then that twisting, that boundary actually led them to doing even more, to eating from the tree, thinking that they could get from that what they were lacking from God. That was the twist of the serpent's lies, right? Those parents, they, they had children, didn't they? After they left the garden, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. You remember the story? And what happens between these two sons? Cain kills his brother Abel out of jealousy and rage. He kills him. He murders him. And God, what does he do? Does he consume Cain with fire? No, he shows up and he has a conversation with him. God shows up and he starts talking with him. And he says, where is your brother? And he's like, I I don't know, God, am I supposed to keep track of my brother? And he's like, listen, Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. What is it crying out? Probably like seeking for justice, right? Probably crying out, this was was a tragedy. Something went terribly wrong. There's brokenness here. This death should not have occurred. And this blood of Abel crying out was the condemnation of Cain. But there's been another one's blood spilled on this earth. And that blood, instead of crying out to the Father, condemnation on us who killed him. Instead of crying out, we're sinful, we're wicked, we deserve death, we deserve to be consumed by a fire. It instead cries out victory. It cries out freedom. It cries out salvation. It cries out rescue. It cries out hope. We have a blood that cries out on our behalf now so that instead of the conviction that Cain experienced because of killing Abel, the death of Jesus now allows us to approach the mountain. The consecration that the people of Israel had to go through Part of that, it was, it was washing, it was cleaning. But remember, they also had to over and over again go through sacrifices, the blood of animals in order to approach the temple, right? The blood of Jesus allows us now to approach the nearness of God, to draw near to Mount Zion. And hear this picture. Mount Zion where heaven and earth touch, where they meet, right? It's not floating up into the clouds, Let's, let's read this part real quick again from Hebrews 12, where it says in verse 20, 25, halfway through, they did not escape when they rejected him who were warned on earth, even less we will if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. Verse 26, his voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That's a quote from Haggai 2. Remember, we went through Haggai earlier in the year and we jumped ahead to Hebrews 12. So you're getting the same sermon twice. You're welcome. 
Once more, I'll shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression yet once more indicates the removal of what can be shaken. That has created things so that what is not shaken might remain. Did he say, I will shake the earth and destroy it all so that you can come up to the heavens where things remain? No, he said, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens and the earth. So that the things that are temporary will no longer be, but the things that remain, you will dwell in. Both heaven and earth. Remember the goal of God's mission to restore things from how he started at the beginning of creation, where he walked and talked with them on that mountaintop in the garden of Eden. It's to reunite heaven and earth again. The goal is that God would be near us. Heaven and earth would touch once again. This is Mount Zion. That the real physical things that God created, he still has a plan for and he still cares about. That's why Jesus lives forever eternally in a body, a human one that was born to Mary long ago. Those scars on his hand forever. Jesus in a resurrected physical body, we, when we follow him because of his blood that cries out on our behalf, saved, restored, rescued, salvation, freedom. We too will enter into resurrection just like Jesus and that will remain. So what will be shaken, what does not last, the the things that distract us in this world, the sin in our hearts, right? The structures that we've set up that end up being oppressive or just unjust or not, not perfect. Those things will all be shaken away. And what will remain is the kingdom of God where heaven and earth touch, where God dwells physically with his people, where we get to feast and celebrate for eternity. This is Mount Zion. And we don't often use that phrase to talk about it, do we? But this is the kingdom of God. This is eternity. This is the work of Jesus bringing us into salvation forever so that we could have nearness with God the Father, the one who is a consuming fire. And he will consume with fire all the things that should not last because they're broken and twisted and distorted but he will fill us with his consuming presence as we live forever because of the blood of Jesus and because his resurrection has brought us there. And if that's the true story, if the true story is moving toward a physical resurrection, being near and with God for eternity, where heaven and earth are reunited, they touch, they meet, then that means God cares about the physical reality right now too, doesn't he? And that's what the author of Hebrews has been trying to talk to this audience about the whole time that we've been going through this. Continue to live in that reality here and now. If God cares about restoring the physical reality of his creation, then he cares about what happens in your body right now. And he cares about what your neighbor or coworker is experiencing here and now in this world. He cares about the work of your hands as you go into your workplace tomorrow on Monday. Even if it's not the spiritual work of a missionary or a pastor, right? No, no, God is the God who created the physical and it's all holy to him. It means that your work matters. 
It means that your presence in your neighborhood matters. It means that everything you do and say and experience comes from God. And either we can twist it and distort it and set up these boundaries between what we do and experience and God's presence, and that will be consumed by his fire one day. Or we can, by the power of his spirit, submit that to him, draw near to him, recognize we don't have to be afraid because Jesus's blood speaks on our behalf and we could be consumed by his spirit and filled as we go into the world. So my prayer is that we would go into our week, the rest of this week, with the consuming presence of God, a God who loves, a God who desires to be near, a God who wants for you and I to take his presence out into the world around us, that it will continue to consume all of the earth. Amen? God, would you help us to be that people? Would you help us to go with your presence? Would you help us to be filled with your spirit? God, would we, the men and women and children in this room, in this building, God, not just feel like we have to go on a mission to take that to others, but would we also experience that for ourselves here and now? Your spirit and your presence is here with us and you love us and you desire to be near. Thank you that we can approach you because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. May we live like that's true in all of life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray by the power of the spirit to the glory of the father, amen.